Let's go to God's word. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. We're going to read through an entire chapter this morning. You guys with me? It's only 15 verses. I'm told that you, this, is, this makes for really bad preaching. I refuse to agree. I, I refuse. I don't care if you're bored. We're going to read this. We don't always do this. I think sometimes you don't necessarily have to read an entire chapter, but occasionally the context is really, really helpful. So here we go. Second Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Verse six, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all grace, so that having all sufficiency, sorry, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgivings to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of your surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about how amazing grace transforms our generosity. We have been working through a whole series on the subject of grace. And I cannot tell you how excited I've been to stand up here and say to you at the outset of this generosity message, how blessed I feel to be talking about generosity to a church that is radically generous. It feels really, really good. Um, believe it or not, I hope you do, 
But when I was planning out sort of my teaching plan for like all of 2019, I planned to teach this sermon like months, almost a year ago. This was on the calendar before we even began to think about buying a building, before we even began to talk about raising funds for a down payment on the little building that we're buying down the street. Um, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, like what a coincidence. It's the end of the year. We better, you know, get our little generosity plug in here so, you know, everyone can kind of get their checkbooks out and we'll just really work the moment. And that is so not what's happening right now. And it feels so good to say that um, because I think we need to, to embrace that. And I think the church needs to be encouraged in that way. Um, you guys, our little church, our little growing church, is radically generous. You guys are generous. Um, so what I want to share with you this morning, out of God's word, I hope really encourages you. I hope, I hope it does challenge you to keep growing in your generosity. Um, perhaps you're sitting there thinking like, I, that's very nice of you, but I don't, I don't feel particularly generous. Okay, fair enough. Then I hope this challenges you. Because um, I think we all want to be generous people. We want to grow in generosity. And that's what we're talking about this morning. God's grace and how it transforms our generosity, our giving. Grace-fueled giving, generosity is an essential part of experiencing the life of freedom that Jesus has set us free for. Uh, generosity, it's actually a key part of just our spiritual life, our discipleship, our journey, if you will, as we follow Jesus. I, wanna, I love how um, Paul includes these words on generosity, specifically financial giving. It's obviously what he's talking about here within the context of this, this, this bigger thought, this bigger flow of the letter. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. So if you back all the way up to the beginning of the letter, 2 Corinthians, this is his second, apparently, letter, or second to third letter. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And he begins, essentially, he begins by talking about his ministry. This is like uh, chapter three, chapter four. He starts talking about this ministry that he has been entrusted with by Jesus to take the gospel around the known world, this gospel, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the message that he wants to see go around the globe and back. This is the gospel, the ministry that has been entrusted to him. And then he goes on to talk about God's power. He talks about the Holy Spirit and how God himself has come to live in our bodies. We are the new temple of the living God. He talks about our bodies. He, he, he has words to say about the, the, the transitory nature of our bodies and how when Jesus returns, we'll experience a resurrection like Jesus and be given new bodies. He talks about eternity. He talks about our identity in Christ. And as we live in this in-between age, as we await for the return of our King. We have these identities that are brand new. He calls us new creations in Christ Jesus. He goes on to talk about 
our mission and how as these new people, as these adopted sons and daughters in the family of God, we're invited to participate in the mission. Now, this isn't just like a for me, this is a for the world phenomenon and we're meant to join in and participate in the mission that Jesus himself started to tell the world, to demonstrate the gospel in word and deed, let the good news be known. He goes on to talk about the church, us, God's people filled with the spirit, the new temple of the living God. He has a few words to say about repentance, about joy, about comfort. And then in a seemingly seamless sort of flow of thought, he transitions into talking about generosity. How this is like all connected. This is all part of this spiritual life, this grace that God has given us to experience new life in him. In uh, chapter eight, verse seven, he says, as you excel in all of these things, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Generosity, giving this act of grace as well as all these other things. Generosity is a part of the, the big picture, our holistic experience of God's grace in our lives. This is part of the freedom that we're meant to have as followers of Jesus. Generosity, including financial giving, is a massive part of life, and thus it's an essential aspect of our growing up as followers of Jesus and living out the freedom that the Holy Spirit increasingly wants us to experience and go deeper into. Tragically, I think, many of us, we... We don't like to think about this. You do not like what I'm saying right now. You do not like where I'm going because even the mere mention of money just starts pulling all sorts of anxiety triggers because there's so much shame and fear attached to this aspect of life. Many of us would be quite happy just to keep it in, the, in sort of a, a different category. Like I come to church to do my spiritual stuff, get my worship on, get a little, you know, the word. <laughs> of course, you know, I'll give some money because I, you know, I reckon someone's got to you know, keep the lights on. But like, do we really have to? I mean, this is sort of like mis- mixing religion and politics, right? Like, we, this is not acceptable. Apparently it is. Apparently it totally is. And apparently it's, it would be, we would do well to think of it in those terms. And so I want us to, to process together the subject of grace endowed generosity. Generosity from a grace-imbued perspective. I, a, a couple of preliminary thoughts before we get to the real point. Um, I, I just want to highlight this because I think it's helpful. Verses one through nine, so the first sort of half of the, the section that we just read, notice a couple of things. Number one, the way the Apostle Paul, the way the Bible talks about giving, generosity, it's super practical. Super practical. It's also, he speaks super plainly. But he begins by, it's just so practical. A few points. Number one, there's a specific need that needs to be met. 
the saints in Jerusalem are experiencing some sort of famine. You can kind of get hints of this situation in other letters throughout the New Testament. There's some, some real practical needs that the church in Jerusalem has. Um, secondly, there are logistical arrangements. There's a timeline. There's transportation. There's, uh, there's the trusted carrier. He's sending Titus to actually take the money and transport it to another city across the world, as it were. Um, I like this. Paul's so bold. There's an urging for people to follow through on their commitment. Apparently, they had committed to giving, and now Paul's like, okay, well, let's actually figure out how you are to follow through with that because it's important that you actually keep the commitment that you made. It's called faithfulness. Super big deal in the life of a Christian. And he speaks so plainly. Believe it or not, the uh, quick-talking, charismatic preacher who works to manipulate the desperate, broken person for every dollar they've got predates the American televangelist phenomenon. You know what I'm saying? This is not a new thing. Preachers with a quick tongue getting on TV or standing up in front of a crowd and using God's word to guilt trip or manipulate people into giving all their money, it's a thing that's been going on forever, apparently. For example... Um, elsewhere in the New Testament, this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul, again, writing to a church leader, he says, Beware false teachers who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Uh, Peter, one of the other apostles, he writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, Beware false teachers who secretly bring in destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them, Jesus, In their greed, they will attempt to exploit you with false words. And Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 20, says, Beware the scribes who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Ouch, says the preacher. Despite the fact People have always attempted to like use religion and even the Bible to exploit others and manipulate others into giving because of their personal greed. Like despite the fact that that's been going on forever, apparently, Paul speaks very plainly about money, which I think models something like really healthy for us. Um, because we tend to just sort of react. I can remember, uh, like for years, um, my wife and I, we, we were leading a congregation, a small congregation, when we were living in London. And it was fantastic. It was, it was a lot of young people. And we met on a, a university campus um, there in, in central London. And I remember in the early days thinking about, well, obviously, you know, we, we're going to, you know, people are going to need to give money and, you know, just in a very practical sense, like we obviously we have to figure out how we like are going to rent this venue and, and do these different things. And, and I was so nervous 
to just talk plainly about money because I had it in my mind that like, oh yeah, but everyone's gonna think that like, it's another one of those churches just after the money. And um, I was totally wrong. I don't think my thinking, my fear of what people might think was actually helping anyone at all. In fact, I was just projecting my own insecurities onto people. And I love that Paul seemingly just doesn't care. He's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm aware. Like this, this is a thing, this is happening. There are false teachers and be on the lookout. Okay, don't fall for it. But family, we still need to speak plainly about these things. There are, are practical needs, there are logistical matters. We are the family of God. Money is a part of our worship, and so we, just, we, need, we have to talk about this. We, we need to make plans. I need you guys to follow through. And he speaks very plainly about it. He even goes so far, and I'm not sure how I feel about this. I'll accept it because it's, it's in God's word. But what about Paul saying, I've actually been bragging to you guys about the church up north the one in Macedonia, I've been telling them, I've been boasting to them about how you guys promised you'd give all this money. And so I was telling them to hopefully kind of like stir them up a little bit and motivate them. And so like you, you really do need to follow through. Otherwise it's gonna be super embarrassing for like me and you. That's like shockingly bold. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, wow, okay, so you really aren't mincing words here. I mean, it's back in the day when this is the kind of thing you would never, ever, ever want to communicate via text. Way too risky. But obviously, he had to write a letter, and so it was a different, it was a different world back then. But the boldness. So anyway, I, again, these are just some preliminary observations but I think very helpful as a church family, as, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, thinking about how we use the money, the resources that God has entrusted to us, let's make sure we're not simply reacting or, or letting our own insecurities or fears or shame or foolishness or whatever it might be um, set the tone. Rather, let's practice just speaking plainly, openly, practically, um, and gracefully about, about these matters. But then he goes on. He says in verse six, the point is this. So he's like, okay, so that's all important, but here's the point. We can go to the next, here's the point. There you go. So that helps you, right? <laughs> Here's the point, let me really make the point here. Here's the point. The point is this, he literally says in verse six, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So obviously uh, he's, he's using sort of farming, some sort of a, far, a farming analogy. He's talking about sowing seed. And if a farmer sows sparingly, well, you're gonna get a, a pretty meager harvest. But a farmer sows bountifully, you can expect a great harvest. And he says, this is the point. This is the point. Everything, the, the need, the arrangements, 
the, the, everything else that we've already talked about. Here's the main point. Those who reap sparingly, those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. You will reap what you sow. I think someone else said that one time. You will reap what you sow. Here's the point. I want you to be blessed. I want you to sow bountifully so that you can experience a bountiful harvest. I want you to grow. I want you to more fully experience the life of Jesus. This is why I want you to give in this way. This this is how I read it. This is what I think he's saying. Now, let me just make the point quickly. This is where the quote-unquote prosperity preacher will be like, ooh, let me just take that verse. Let me just tweak that verse a little bit. And let me convince you that if you guys all sow, I don't know, let's say $1,000 into the building fund, God is going to bless you 100-fold. I don't even know what that is. It's like times 100 or something? What's a fold? I'm sure someone could explain it to me. Now, now, now I, I think it's pretty obvious that that's not what Paul's actually saying. That's really not his point here at all. Now, could God bless you in that way? Yeah, sure, why not? If that's the thing that God wants to do, if that's the way that God wants to bless you because perhaps you have a need or I, I don't know what it might be, maybe God wants to give you even more money, maybe he wants to test you to say, okay, will you be faithful with this little amount so that I can give you more so that you could be even a greater blessing to others? Maybe, that could be it. But I don't think that that's like only it. In fact, in my own personal experience, I would say that's actually rarely it. Because in my life experience, my, my real problem and my real hopes and dreams, that the life that Jesus wants me to experience as I follow him, trust, and obey him, it's, it's not so much about how much money I, I do or don't have. It's a part of it. But God is after other things, deeper things. So the point is, Paul says, I want you to reap a massive harvest. That's what I want for you. He says in chapter eight, verse 10, he says, I'm saying all of this for your benefit. I, I want you to be blessed. I'm not trying to coerce you, coerce you. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm trying to help you grow in Christ. This is a universal truth. It's a spiritual law. It's like gravity. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's truth. I don't know if you believe me. I don't know if you've actually experienced that. But that's what Jesus says about generosity explicitly. You are more blessed when you give than when you receive um, I love the Proverbs. This is Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Surely you've experienced that. Hmm. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
but it's not just a formula that we can sort of mechanically apply to our lives. This is not seventh grade algebra. I know I used to teach seventh grade algebra. You know that. For like four years, I taught middle school algebra. <sighs> still, st- still healing. <laughs> it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is saying this is to your benefit. I want you to follow through on this. I want you to grow in your generosity because I want you to reap a great harvest. I want you to experience more of God's blessings in every way. But it's not just a formula that we can mechanically apply because he goes on to to qualify what he's saying. He's saying you need to do it a particular way. And we can go to the next slide, please. As you give, as you grow in generosity, do it with your heart engaged. Do it with everything. Do it in faith, do it as worship, and do it by grace. Do it with your heart engaged. He says God doesn't want to extract payment from us. God doesn't bill us. We're not getting an invoice in the mail. He he wants us to give. He commands us to give, but he wants us to do it with a cheerful heart. Engage your heart when you're giving. Repent along the way if you need to. Some of you don't give because you don't want to give. That's, That's actually how it works. It's as simple as that. It has nothing to do with how much you have to give or not, honestly. Like, it's, it's never really been about that because God doesn't need our money. It's not like God's up there counting his penny. Scrooge McDuck in the sky, like, oh, I'm just, you know, I need, need my church to really up their giving because I'm just struggling up here. God wants our heart to be in this which means occasionally along the way when we feel the Holy Spirit prompting us to be generous, we might resist because we're, I don't know, we're insecure, we're greedy, we're uh, whatever it might be. Sin kind of gets in the mix. Now, you might think, well, if, does that mean then if my heart isn't in it, if I don't feel quote-unquote cheerful about giving, then that probably means I shouldn't, Right? Because my heart's not in it, and I, authenticity, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? <clears throat> I, I, maybe. Um, no, authenticity is good, but God commands us to give, which means occasionally, if in my heart I don't want to give, the solution is to repent. The solution is to say, God, I've got a real funky attitude about this. I actually do not want to obey you in this matter. Would you heal my heart? Would you search my heart? And if there is any way within me that's not from you, would you, would you help me? I'm giving it to you. I'm not justifying it. I'm not qualifying it. I'm not theologizing it away. I'm saying, God, help me because I'm struggling to feel authentic in my giving. That's called repentance. That's simply acknowledging this is the state of my heart. God, this is not good. This is not from you. I'm surrendering to you. Won't you please help me? Now, the way God answers that prayer, hang on, it's gonna be a wild ride. It's probably not gonna be like the, here's the, here's the grace dust. Bring. Like, 
ah, I feel, I feel cheerful inside now. I think, I think I'll give now. That's usually, it's this, this insanely hard, difficult, Christ-forming journey that God takes us on where you learn generosity. Do it with whatever seed you've got. Chapter eight, verse 13, Paul makes the point that this matter of generosity, it's not about some people being taxed so that others can just sort of relax and lay back. Um, I love it. He's so practical. The Bible is so, so practical. He actually says that wouldn't be fair. In chapter 8, he says this explicitly. It wouldn't be fair for some to give while others just receive all the time. This is, more, this is a family affair. This is where if you have to give, then give because that's how God is. And then if next year or next decade, you find that you're the one who desperately needs to be on the receiving end, then so be it. Let's, let's be the family together. But give with whatever you've got. Give according to your means. Get a, get not according to what you don't have. So for this, this little giving campaign, let me just pause here because I needed to say something about it at some point this morning. Um, if you're a visitor, quickly catch you up. Um, but in about two months, we're going to be moving out of this building because Door of Hope, who owns this building, they're launching a northeast Door of Hope church. And it's super exciting, and, and it's just like, dude, we're, this is all family, kingdom business. It's going to be awesome. Logistically, it means that we need a new venue, so we've been on this amazing journey of trying to figure out, okay, God, where do you want us to be? What does that look like? Do we rent someplace else? Long story short, we're now well into the process of buying a little church building just a few blocks down the road, literally just a few blocks down the road, Mason and Garfield. It's very similar to this building, only just like needs a whole lot of love and care. It's, it's uh, what do they call it? Um, it's dilapidated. But the bones are strong. The bones are strong. We just, we gotta, we gotta love on this place. So about a month and a half ago, less than two months ago, we started our little giving campaign because we had some money saved up, but we needed to raise a little bit more for our down payment. And of course, we'll continue to, to raise money into 2020. We'll talk more about that for the repairs and the renovations. Um, but there's no doubt that God is, is leading the way. Just absolutely no doubt about it. So I, I went before our, our finance board, our directors, and I said, hey, this is, this is what we're thinking. This is what we're praying about. We had a whole bunch of other leaders in the room praying with us. Some of you have been quite involved in this process. And we decided, like, yeah, I think this is what God is leading us to do. Okay, here goes nothing. Let's trust him. We need to raise 70 grand in, like, two months. Which, I, okay, I'm going to confess now Part of me was like, yeah, Jesus is king. Like, he can do it. He's got all the money. And then part of me was like, ooh, this is, is this smart? Are we sure we want to do this? And so we did it. And basically, as of today, we've raised about 80 grand in less than two months. Yeah. And I've said this before, but I'll emphasize it again now. What's, what's actually super exciting about that, it's not the cash. It's the fact that, like, guys, th this, that is a, how can I put this? It's like tangible evidence of what God is doing in our hearts. That's what it's about. It's not about a building. It's about what God is building in us and his people. Like, we are the church. 
to marginalize the importance of these practical matters, but gosh, that is exciting because guys, that's, that means we're actually practicing generosity. It's amazing. It means Jesus is, is helping us. He's moving in our hearts. Some of you gave like $50. Some of you gave $10,000. $15,000, I think, was the largest gift. Some people who aren't even a part of our church here, like mailed in a check, two, three checks for 10 grand, just because they heard about this little church family here and they got excited about what Jesus is doing in Portland. Um, but people gave to varying degrees. And look, if you're sitting right here thinking, oh my goodness, like I didn't, I didn't actually give. Like I feel so bad right now. The Holy Spirit could be convicting you. You could, what you call feeling bad actually could be the conviction of the Holy Spirit because it's like, hey, like I gave you a chance. And I was, hear me, please, hear me. I'm not going into the guilt trip mode now, but I want to speak plainly. I want to speak plainly. You might feel bad because you didn't give, but I want to say, hey, you can still jump in. You may not have given because you're like, well, what's my 20 bucks going to do? Oh, oh, do you not know the Lord? Do you not know how, how God does money? Can I help you understand? It's, it's not about that. It's not about that at all. When Jesus saw the widow woman come into the temple and put in her little two mites, Jesus was like, yo, 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 bring it in, bring it in. Okay, discipleship moment. Did you guys notice? I noticed I was watching the woman who put the two little copper coins. Dude, that, that's it right there. That's radical generosity. It was all she had. So it's not about the amount. It's always about the heart. Now, of course, I, I wouldn't, necessarily therefore say that the amount is somehow completely like disconnected from the heart and I'm going to say a few more words about that in just a second but my, my point now is simply okay $80,000 super awesome and it wasn't because one or two people dropped big checks it's because people were giving with what they had with what they had people were being generous according to their means that was point one. Do it with everything, with every kind of seed you've got. Okay, now this is important. Verse 11, Paul says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Okay, so we're not just talking about money. Okay, I hit money hard, but we're not just talking about money. I, I hope it goes without saying that generosity is, is about this is a lifestyle. This is about everything you've got. This is about your money, which is the most quantifiable, I would argue. It's, it's, you can just see it right there. It's a number. We're called to be generous with our time, which I would argue is the most difficult. Would you agree? Money can, money can sting a little, but eh. Be like, do I go online? I'll fire off a 50. But my time, that's my time. I can't get that back. We're called to be generous with our affection. I would argue this is the most risky. 
our affection. I would say one of the greatest needs in our city and our church, it's affection, it's attention. It's someone who actually has compassion and is willing to, to feel, to empathize with another human being. It's risky because that requires vulnerability on the part of the giver. If you're gonna give some of your affection to someone, okay, now you're opening yourself up. You could get hurt. And if you've ever tried it, then you just, you know it's true. Which is why generosity is also about faith. Be generous in faith. Verse eight says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Trust God. He's not trying to get something from you. I made the point already. Jesus is called to give, his command to give. It's not so that he can get something from us. This is what the demons do. You realize that? This idea of like, well, God somehow needs something from me, that's, that's actually anti-gospel, it's demonic. Um, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite, quote him when you can. Screw tape letters, this, this is, I love this. The demons exclaim, we want cattle who can finally become food. God wants servants who can finally become sons and daughters. We want to suck in he wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. The demons are trying to steal from us. The enemy came to steal, to kill and to destroy. Jesus came that we might have life overflowing. He didn't come to get something from us. He didn't come to be served by us. He came to serve us and to lay his life down for the many Trust God when he says, I'm not simply trying to get something from you. This is all for your benefit. I want to teach you how to live the abundant life. It will require that you give, that you sow abundantly. Do it as worship. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution. When God's people are living like generous sons and daughters, not only are practical needs being met, but as people look on, we all start to erupt in worship. It becomes not just a process in meeting a need, it's actually become a part of like, this is all, all worship. And in fact, Christian brother or sister, you'll find that as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, as you get further and further down the road, virtually everything you do somehow gets caught up in an expression of worship. It's all worship. It's all worship because we are perpetually living on the receiving end of grace. It's like every time I think, well, I'm gonna sow so that I can get something, it's like I sow and I'm overwhelmed with God's abundant blessings. This is not transactional. This is not tit for tat. 
This is, I am just like, I, got, I don't know what to do with all my blessings. If I don't share some of it, I'm just gonna drown in it. That's worship. Realizing that I'm rich, that he has enriched me with all sufficiency and everything. I have an abundance for every good deed and I don't care how much money you do or don't have. How broke you think you are, if you are in Christ, you are rich. You're a rich kid. You're a rich kid. You know any of those? I always wanted to be one. <laughs> now I am in Christ. We're rich. So when I give, when I'm exercising generosity, it's meant to be an extension of my worship. And finally, do it by grace. Because the surpassing grace of God is upon you. And Paul ends with this excellent uh, point. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What an odd way to end the thought. Not thanks be to God for your amazing gift. Thank you again. The climax of his thought is, and thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We are living in the wake of God's blessings, his grace. And so we are to do it by grace. We are to be radically generous in mercy and grace. In mercy and grace. Closing thought. When Moses This is Exodus 34, when Moses is standing on the mountain and this cloud descended and it said that God was in it and he stood there with this man, Moses. And Moses, I mean, you get the feeling if you read the story, Exodus 34, I mean, he is caught up in the moment. I mean, he is like with God. And he says, God, show me your face. Like, I want to know your name. Who are you really? I mean, you you can almost feel the... The, the, the yearning that this man has to be like closer with God than he's ever done before. And so God says, okay, fine, I'll tell you my name. And he says, he starts out by saying, the Lord, the Lord, this is who I am, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Guys, as a church family, we, we need to consider generosity in, in everything, in every aspect of our, our lives, our worship, our, our, our relationships. But more than money, more than time, more than affection, say, guys, we've got to be generous in mercy and grace. We've got to be generous in our graciousness towards one another. I could stand up here for probably a few more hours telling you about just situation after situation after situation after situation, how I have been done wrong. All in church settings. It's not right, but it's just human. And every time I have to make a choice Well, I decide in my heart to stop being generous because look what it got me? Will I stop giving affection? Will I stop 
being generous with my time? Will I stop being gracious because I'm sick and tired of being sinned against by quote unquote godly people? Or will I be merciful and gracious the way my God has been unfathomably merciful and gracious towards me? Grace, I don't care how beautiful our church building is on the inside or out if us as brothers and sisters can't walk in mercy and grace towards one another. Have you ever been in that church? I just sound sort of judgy now, but I've, I've been in that church. You're like, oh, pretty church, fancy chairs, love the mugs. You're mean. <laughs> where's, where's the mercy? Where's the grace? Where's the forgiveness? Where's the humility? Where's God's heart in all of this? Because yeah, I get it. We're all kind of bumping up against each other and offending each other and, 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 and trying to be decent towards each other and getting it terribly wrong, like way more than any of us would care to admit. But where's the grace? God wants, I gotta show you this. I gotta show you my Christmas mug. God wants us to be generous that we might be set free to love each other the way that we have been loved by him. Here's what happens when like the demons, you begin to cling and count your pennies and withhold and not be generous. You begin to look at others as people who owe you something. I gave you affection, where's mine? I gave the church my time, what am I getting out of it? I put in my contribution, so I, you know, I expect at least equal pay. And how demonic is that? Because God pours out grace, he lavishes his grace upon us and expects nothing in return. Will we be changed? Oh, absolutely. Does he command us to obey him? Of course. Is the fruit of our obedience evidence that in fact we have received grace? Yep. There's a paradox to chew on. But does he give us his son and then say, okay, now you owe me, kid. You owe me. Nope. He doesn't love that way. And when we begin to be loved the way Jesus loves us, we can then receive from others as gift. You don't owe me anything. I'm not giving something to you to get something in return. I'm already blessed. I've already received an inexpressible gift in Christ. I'm drowning in grace. I can now receive from you. Even your little, my son gave me this for Christmas. It's the worst mug I've ever owned. <laughs> but he wrote his name on the bottom of it. It's, I can only see I, just I. His name's Isaac. I love this mug. It's the perfect mug. 
it's the best mug I've ever owned. <laughs> because it's a gift. I've given my son so much. Oh my goodness, I've given him so much. And he owes me nothing. I don't love my son. I don't bless my son because you're expecting him to like pay me back. And so then when he, he loves me in his awkward little 10-year-old way, I'm just overwhelmed with the blessing. It's a gift. This is how we're meant to give and receive love as the family of God. When we begin to exercise generosity, it frees us to be loved in this way. Can we stand together, please? You're now listening to Grace City Portland.